Hello, everybody, and welcome to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck, and I am your host. This podcast is about my personal experiences, stories, and events with dealing with borderline personality disorder, otherwise known as BPD. My experiences with BPD is due to my wife, now ex-wife, who I have been with for 34 years, was diagnosed with BPD in 2012. And I want to share my experiences with you so that if you are someone who has somebody in your life with BPD, that you may relate to what I'm saying along with my personal tips and suggestions that may or may not work in your specific situation. And if you are someone who has been diagnosed or think you may have BPD, that you may recognize the signs and understand the havoc and turmoil that it can have around people that are involved in your life. Let me caution you that I am in no way qualified or certified in the field of mental health and that my personal suggestions are merely my personal opinion and do not recommend that anybody take any mental health therapy into their own hands, but to personally seek out the help from a professional in the field of mental health. And furthermore, if you are a couple, you might even consider counseling to help further your relationship a little bit better. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you again for listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Shattuck and I'm your host. And today's episode is something that um, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of this before. I should say any of my listeners. Um, I definitely have not. And one thing I never realized before is about um, giving a relationship label. You know, we all have individual uh, labels if we have mental health disorder. Um, you You can have borderline personality disorder and bipolar and anxiety or you can just have bipolar you can have just anxiety you know etc but I never thought about having uh, a name on a relationship I don't know if per se if that uh, if you know the mental health um, community in you know general um, does this you know if they name all relationships or if relationships have labels or not but I got an email from a listener um, a couple weeks ago and asked if he thought um, in my opinion if my relationship was uh, my trauma bond never heard of it before so I looked up the um, symptoms of a trauma bond and me and my wife actually fit into it 100% uh, like I said I never heard of it before and I don't know if there's um, other names for or labels you know for relationships but this one fit me and my wife to a T. Um, I don't know if it's the ingredients of my disorders uh, in hers or if it's um, because of the borderline personality disorder. I'm not sure what makes up, you know, what, what creates or you know, the ingredients that create a charm bond or, you know, any label for a relationship. But whatever the case may be, we definitely fall into it. So I looked, um, I did some reading online and I wrote down the six major um, or the six most common um, symptoms of a trauma bond relationship. So I'm going to go over that with you and hopefully it'll give you a little more insight and maybe a little more knowledge and maybe it's just one more thing you learn today about yourself, your relationship and maybe your disorder and your relationship as a whole. So anyways, thank you again for listening and let's get on with the episode. Hello, 
everybody. Thank you again for listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. My name is Brad Chaddock, and I'm your host. And like I said, um, this episode is um, about a trauma bond relationship. And, you know, like I said, this came from uh, uh, an email from a listener. He actually emailed me a few times, and he asked if I thought my relationship uh, with my wife was a trauma bond relationship. Never heard of it before, ever. Um... And I actually, like I said, I never actually thought about labeling a relationship or even if there is labels on relationships, um, which there actually should be. But again, I don't know what ingredients make up um, a label on a relationship, you know, if there is any. Um, and what the ingredients make up, um, me definitely knowing that me and my wife's relationship was a charm of our relationship. If it's just because of her disorder or if it's a combination um, of both of ours or if it's just something of my disorder, um, I, I don't know, I don't know what makes up the ingredients, um, or if it's, you know, just our relationship in general, and it doesn't have to do with any disorders, um, you know, it's possible that it doesn't have to do with any, but I actually like the idea of labeling a relationship, um, I think it would help with a relationship just like it would our individuals, you know, if we have a certain disorder, there's certain medications, that help control it, and certain, um, um, you know, counseling or th- therapies that can help that disorder. And I think, you know, if they focused on relationships and give them certain labels, there's certain things that would, you know, work with a relationship, in, in my opinion. And there could be something out there. I just, I'm not aware of it. But anyways, so I wrote down the, the six major symptoms of um what would make up that you're possibly in a trauma bond relationship? Um, so, anyways, um, a trauma bond relationship is defined as a dysfunctional um, attachments that occur in the presence of danger, shame, or exploitation, and in most common um, in, in a narcissistic relationship. Uh, symptom number one: your relationship is unpredictable. You know, do you feel like you're always walking on eggshells? Um, are you scared to interact with the other party because you're afraid of how they'll react or how you'll be treated? One of the difficult aspects of a trauma bond is that their attitude towards you can change on a daily basis. And this can make it seem like the abuse is triggered by a bad day or something you did. The thing to pay attention to here is a repeated cycle of abuse. You know, while everybody is certainly allowed to have bad days, it is dangerous to use them to excuse abusive behavior. The unpredictability is a sign of a trauma bond because the good days can be rewarding and strengthen the affection you feel for them. Um, uh, symptom number two, they constantly betray you, but you still give them another chance. Wait, what did I always did? And that's hmm, what I call love. <laughs> but anyways, do you, you know, do you often repeatedly, um, betray yourself to get the love and approval from them do they regain trust in you either by excuses explanations and apologies even though they've broken their promise so many times this can make you feel worthless helpless hopeless stressed anxious and even more the reason betrayal can impact us so much is they are most often by the people you trust and love you know, and, and to want and to, to trust and love them and give them chances and continue loving them, it's understandable. But when that trust becomes blind and destructive, 
the relationship is no longer healthy. You know, isn't it true? Um, the other one, uh, the third symptom, uh, you feel responsible for their happiness. Now, I'm definitely guilty of this, you know. Um, you know, like myself, are you willing to sacrifice anything to make your relationship work? Do you squash your own will and desire just to keep them satisfied? You work so hard to find a reason to stay to the point where you, um, yourself, you know, your sense of self may go out the window, you know, but if you can relate to this, have you ever wondered why you may do so? Um, you know, the cycles of abuse and a charm bond also include periods of award. You hold on to the good times of the relationship in order to justify your relationship. But as a result, you lose yourself trying to please them. In order to extend this pleasant period as much as you can, you may forego your own values and avoid speaking your mind. You prioritize their needs over everything to the point of feeling burnt out. Um, the fourth one is, you know, your relationship is complex and involves false promises. Um, you know, they'd be saying, uh, you know, I promise things will change. Uh, this will never happen again. You know, those statements sound familiar because they, they sure as hell do with me. You know, false statements and promises often strengthen a trauma bond. In fact, they are so powerful that they convince you to stay by creating a sense of hope to cling on to. Some of us may, you know, call this, you know, free, feeding, you know, they're feeding you breadcrumbs. But, you know, if you're in a trauma bond, you're... I'm also inclined to believe, you know, these words, because ultimately, you're emotionally attached to the other person. Your belief in them comes from a place of hope and desperation. But even if logic tells you that you'd just be left hurting again. Uh, the fifth one I read was, you know, you defend your relationship even though it's abusive. And that's usually the case of most abusive relationships anyways. You know, it's difficult for you to acknowledge the toxicity in your own relationship that others are trying to show you. Do you think that often others don't understand your relationship? You know, when you're in a trauma bond, it's common to deny the facts that your situation is abusive and traumatic. You know, think of it like uh, a defensive mechanism. You feel so tied down to your relationship, you're unable to leave it, or to, you, know, you keep going back to the same person. It can be shameful to accept the fact that you're putting yourself in a destructive situation so you may turn to denial in other words this acceptance may bring about feelings of inadequacy and weakness and um this was this oh yeah the sixth one is uh the sense of familiarity makes it impossible to leave the relationship you know when people say um you know and i've heard this a thousand times you know why don't you just leave this is a complex question and it's hard for someone in a trauma bond to answer there's, so, there's, a mul there's multiple reasons why. You know, a sign of, a sign of a trauma bond is, you know, missing this person excessively, most like, almost like an addiction. You know, even after trying to break it off, you know, you may find that you miss having the other person in your life so much that it can impact you emotionally and physically. I've been at that a, a million times. You know, in other words, to avoid this, you know, deliberating feeling... You may feel like you have no choice but to stay. 
it may also be hard for you to leave because it's hard for you to recognize your own situation. The combination of emotional attachment, blind trust, manipulation, and denial can make you unaware of how destructive your situation really is, making the prospect of leaving wrong or unnecessary. You know, and tell me those six symptoms don't relate to probably most of you because most of us that, you know, deal with somebody with BPD, you know, the narcissism, you know, definitely is one of the characteristics of a trauma bond. Um, and um, the other one is, you know, doing everything we can to please them, you know, um, constantly. I, w I was going above and beyond um, trying to please my wife because it was so easy to set her off. Even, even though I knew I can go above and beyond every single day, not make any mistakes, and it's still going to crumble. She's still going to accuse me of something. I'm still going to do something wrong even though I didn't. But I still went above and beyond, no matter what. Because I loved her. And I wanted to make what was good better. And what was better, even better. And what was great, even better than, than that. I was always trying to go over the top again, even knowing it was going to crumble. Because I loved her. And those enjoyable days, you know, like I said, those are more rewarding um, than the bad. You know, like I've said before, if, if somebody said, listen, you're going to have 20 days out of the month of hell. The other 10 days are going to be heaven. Or they could say, you know, 25 of the days are going to be hell. And only 5 days of the month are going to be heaven. I would have taken that. And to be honest with you, that's how it was most of the time. But to me, the rewards outweighed the bad. Um, and even looking back, I still agree with that. And even though we're not together right now, would I go back to that? Yes, I would. Because those days of heaven, that woman in those five days was everything I ever wanted in her and ever wanted in relationship. She was sweet, kind, loving, compassionate, caring, loving, um, a good wife, a good mother, a good human being. Uh, unbelievable. You know, that was that one, you know, personality of her. You know, I don't know any other way to define it. And I'm sure a psychiatrist would say, you know, different, you know, and, and tear me down on that notion. But just being as a human being, you know, like they always say, you know, sometimes you can know something so much that's all you know. You know, a doctor is reading textbook and they may not understand your situation or how you feel. They may be you know, in other words, a perfect relationship at home. They may not. But if they don't deal with this, you know, experiences personally, they're not going to know those feelings. They may know the dynamics. They may understand the dynamics and be able to work with you on making the dynamics, you know, less toxic or whatever. I understand that. You don't need to know somebody's actual feelings to be able to help them or to be able to, you know, help the situation. I used to think otherwise. You know, unless you specifically know how I feel, you can't tell me different. Yes, they can. I don't need to, you know, I, I, a mechanic can tell something's wrong with your car without you hearing there's a problem. He can tell that your timing chain needs to be replaced or it's going to snap soon with no indication, you know, that, uh, you know, without hearing any noise, they can tell certain things when you have, you know, regular maintenance done, you know, preventative maintenance 
or you know what I mean certain things that they can tell that are going on that you can't you know you just know it's running rough without hearing any noises it's hesitating or whatever and he can tell exactly what it is and you know it may be something simple it may be something complex maybe something that you know you'd be like wow I didn't realize it was that bad even though it doesn't sound bad you know I'm trying to use an analogy here but I think you know what I'm saying I used to believe they're only textbook you know they're only reading a b and c you know out of a book unless they know how I feel you know don't you tell me this and that and the other thing and I learned to realize no that isn't true because they understand the dynamics like I said a mechanic doesn't need to get in your car to drive it to understand what's wrong with it he can throw throw it on the computer can tell him certain codes or you can describe to him what it's doing and he can know right away without having to drive it you know he may be able to go over and shake your wheel and know that it's a wheel bearing without having you know when you drive you hear it whine um, you hear the the noise of, of the wheel bearing when it when you do certain things he doesn't need to drive 60 miles an hour or turn left and right he can just go over and shake it and know it's a wheel bearing so he understands different dynamics without actually having to drive it and feel it where you just drive it and feel it without understanding the dynamics does that make any more sense to you um, I don't know any other analogy to, to explain it but that's what I'm trying to say so now I believe you know you don't need to actually know the actual what I go through feelings because nobody can anyways even even in your own relationship you may both love each other say you love each other equally but your love inside you know if you were to go into their body maybe not as much as you or even more nobody knows anybody else's feelings all you know is your own and you know all I knew is when me and my wife were getting along when we looked in each other's eyes I could feel the love she could feel the love you know when we touch each other even after 34 years I would get tingles you know when she would come up and touch me I literally got goosebumps the hair on the back of my head uh, my neck stood up I got electric feelings from my head to my toes I used to love that jolt of electricity I I would still get it today if she came up and touched me and it was weird you could have 20 people come up and I could be blindfolded and touch the back of my neck and I would be able to tell her hands touching me over anybody and I swear I would bet a billion dollars on that I would know her touch over anybody there's a, a spiritual electric electric feeling that I get when she touches me and it'll never go away so anyways back to what I've saying about labeling a relationship you know I, I never thought about that before and I think you know like I said I didn't do any research on labeling a relationship but you know if there is that's awesome because that way you know rather than you know I mean yeah they, they would have to figure out what kind of disorders each each one of you have but that is a little that would also help um, the relationship by knowing the individual because you know if if she's narcissistic or you, you know one if one person's narcissistic and the other person isn't one's an introvert one's and you know an extrovert you know yeah that's definitely gonna help the relationship um, as a whole on labeling it and um, you know helping you know the relationship you know as a whole if neither one of you are narcissistic well then they don't need to you know deal with any narcissism you know helping your relationship if neither one of you are narcissistic so yes it's important to know individual but 
knowing the relationship itself, there's dynamics of it um, that make the ingredients of that label, you know, and if it's, you know, a label that needs, you know, working on, you know, like this with a trauma bond, then there's definitely something needs to be worked on. But, you know, with our relationship, or I should say, you know, with BPD, she is definitely narcissistic. And most people in a trauma bond, it does stem from narcissism. Um, you know, and like I said, I went above and beyond to try to please her, knowing it was going to crumble. But I did it because when she was good and I treated her exceptionally well, she was even better. And if she was in a better mood and I went above and beyond, she was exceptionally good. So whatever I put, when, when she was in, you know, when she wasn't splitting with her BPD, whatever I put into the relationship, I got back two or three times better. Whatever I put in, I got back threefold. It, there was never a doubt about it. You know, if I acted flirty, she was, you know, three times flirtier. Um, she would not only be receptive to it, she you know, over, tried to overpower it, like, uh, you know, like playing cards, like, you know, she tried to get a better hand than I had, and it was always like that, you know, if she was doing the dishes, I would always come up behind her and give her a little hug and kiss her on the neck, but if she was, you know, in a non-splitting BPD, you know, emotion, you know, when I go to back away, she would grab my hand and pull me in and say, no, you're not leaving that quick, and, you know, we'd start deep kissing, and, um, you know, but if it was, when she's splitting, she wouldn't even let me near her. Or if she was, you know, in a bad mood, it wouldn't go anywhere. Not that I still didn't try to do it, but it wasn't, you know, there was no benefit of of it, you know, leading anywhere exceptional. But I still did it. Um, but the other thing is, you know, um, where it said um, in there about... Yeah, not not just um, you know try to go above and beyond, but you know you're afraid of initiating the you know when I'd wake up in the morning, sometimes you're knowing her for 34 years, you think that I would always know what mood she's in. Yes, nine out of ten times I could gauge it, but there's times I could wake up and I'm like, oh wow, she's in a good mood. Today's gonna be a good day. I could go to the bathroom, come back in, and she's changed. You know, completely different. We all know that's how it is with BPD. But, you know, a lot of times, without knowing her mood, I was afraid to initiate a conversation because I was afraid the reaction I would get. Or I'd be um, afraid of coming up and, you know, trying to give her a hug without knowing her, you know, her mood. You know, but like a lot of times, if I was heard her in the kitchen, she's out there singing or laughing, you know, and I could tell she's in a good mood, then I definitely went out there and I knew I was going to get it back threefold. But... Without hearing anything and not knowing her, you know, a lot of times I would have to go out there and try to gauge first. And then, you know, I like I said, I, I still would, you know, give her a little hug or kiss her on the neck. But I wouldn't be over affectionate about it. Because if she's not that great in a mood, you know, those things that she likes the affection is also one of her triggers. And that, that's what sucks with, with BPD and in with her BPD. It's like... You know, like they say, um, you know, somebody's, um, uh, some of their strengths are also their biggest weakness. You know, 
like when I'd go up and, you know, she was in a good mood, give her a kiss, like I said, on the back of the neck, she'd be receptive and she'd give it back, you know, three times better. But if she was like on the borderline of splitting or actually if she had already been split and I did that, first thing she'd do is, geez, what are you trying to kiss up for? Did you do something bad? Did you feel guilty? Are you thinking of your girlfriend when you do that? So that's what I mean. Like, other, you know, when she's in a good mood, those things make her feel young. Um, make her feel that I'm attracted to her. It makes her feel beautiful, sexy, loved. But if she's on the borderline of splitting or she has split, those things are also triggers of making her borderline even worse. Because, you know, like I said, then it's like, am I trying to make up for something? Do I feel guilty? Or am I thinking of somebody else? So most people in those relationships would go, Jesus, you know, this is why I don't try anymore. Because when I try, you know, I never know when... Um, you know, you're going to say that it's good and you like it or it's going to be bad and you don't. You know what? That's a risk you got to take. You can't be defensive all the time. You know, that's not what love is. That's where, you know, that's when the relationship is too much work. And when you have to have too much work in a relationship and you're not willing to give, that that's when it's probably time to split it up. To me, in my mind, it was always worth trying. It doesn't matter what mood she was in, you know, it was just on how I approached it. You know, like I said, if, if she was in there singing and was in a great mood, I had no problem of giving her, you know, a tighter hug and like being a little more affectionate, you know, like kissing her neck a little bit longer than I normally would. You know, if she was quiet, I may just give her the hug, you know, not a deep embrace and a peck on the back of the neck, you know, at least just let her know she's not just a piece of the furniture that... I love her, she's there, and I'm acknowledging her, you know, and how she took it from that point, that's fine, you know, but a lot of times, I like, she wouldn't be receptive to it, or wouldn't say anything, and I'm like, are you okay, and, you know, she, a lot of times she'd be like, I'm just, got my mind on other things, and I would ask her, is this something you want to talk about, you want to get off your chest, or, you know, um, do you want me to just leave you alone, or anything I can do, she'd be like, no, that's fine, okay, well, you know what, if you need me, I'm here for you, so I would at least let her know that, you know, but to approach and be like, you know, um, geez, you know, I'm sorry I kissed you, I mean, obviously it doesn't seem like you wanted me to do that, she's going to already, you know, she's in her own head, she, something's bothering her, she may or may not want you to know about it, but by you doing that, do you really think she's going to want to open herself up to you, or you know, maybe to ask her opinion, or just be there to support her. There's been many times that my wife has just said, you know, I really don't want to talk about it at all. Um, you know, but if you want to stay out here and keep me company, that'd be great. Maybe she just wants you in her space, you know, just there. And maybe if she needs you, maybe she don't, but just having that human interaction, but doesn't want to get lovey. Is that so bad to do? Is that bad to be able to stand there and just have your presence there? At least with me, it wasn't. To me, I'd rather have my presence and have her not talk to me, me not talk to her, maybe just use my phone, than to be fighting, to not be there with her. I would definitely choose that as option, you know, as one of the options. Absolutely. But, you know, it's not for everybody. And again, this isn't my advice to say this is what you should do. I'm just telling you what I personally did what worked for me, what didn't work for me, but also what worked for me one time may not work the next day. So, 
you know, you have to gauge on when to do it. But the worst thing you can do is, you know, like I said, when she was good, whatever I did, I got back threefold. It was, but I wouldn't say, but when she's bad, I'm going to ignore her. I'm going to be even more defensive because you know what? By doing that, it's just going to make things worse. So it works with me. It worked in both areas. When things were good and I did something, I got it back threefold. When things weren't good and they were bad and I was defensive and nasty, I got it back three times worse on that aspect. You know, like I said, if she's like, no, I just want to be left alone, I wouldn't go, well, geez, fine. Next time, don't ask me for a hug or a kiss or this and that. You know what? Because then she's not going to ask you. Because then when she's upset and doesn't want to fool, you know, fool around and be flirty, you know, and just want to hug and just want you there, she's not going to ask you. You want to be there. Do you remember those words? And good and bad. When you got married and those vows, or even just boyfriend and girlfriend, it doesn't matter. The good and the bad. It's not always going to be good. And it's not, you know, but when it's bad, don't make it worse. When something's good, you can always make it better. But when it's bad, don't make it worse. You have that power to change yourself, your action. Be mindful. Don't go, geez, if I could just step back or, you know, go back, I would do this. Do that ahead of time. That's that's what, you know, DBT is all about, you know, and be mindful. You have that choice. You do have that choice to say, geez, if I could go back, I would have said this or I would have done this. You have that choice to do it before you open your mouth and make an action. Take those three seconds. Those three seconds can be three more minutes, three more hours, three more days, three more years of happiness. Or at least three minutes, three days, three hours, three years of less horrible um, parts in your relationship. Take that extra minute and either just walk away or just, you know, like I used to say, instead of just going, oh, I'm not touching this, walk away, I would always at least say, okay, that's fine. If you want your space, you know what? I'm going to be in the other room. If you feel like getting it on your chest, you want to talk, that's fine. I'm here for you. If you just want your space, I can appreciate that as well. But I'm here for you. That's all. I would at least let her know that. A lot of times she didn't open up and didn't talk about it. But guess what? At least she knew I was there for her. And she knew that a lot. But anyways, um, so that's my segment on a trauma bond. Like I said, it's something new I've never heard about before. Um, there's a little bit of my advice thrown in there, my experience. But if you have any questions or, you, you know, um, you'd like to comment about anything about the show or send me an email about anything um, with regards to uh, borderline personality disorder or relationships in general, it's thirddegreepodcastnh at gmail.com. And again, thank you for listening. And if you have somebody in your life with BPD, love them. Show them how much you love them as much as you can because they find it so hard to love themselves. Have a happy relationship and have a happy life. And God bless you. Thank you. Hi. If you'd like to contact me with any questions, suggestions, or if you'd like to be a guest on one of our shows or would like an email read on the show, you can contact me at thirddegreepodcastnh at gmail.com. That's spelled T-H-I-R-D. D-E-G-R-E-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-N-H, Third Degree Podcast N-H. Again, that's at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you. Thank you again.
You've been listening to Living in the Third Degree with BPD. I hope you enjoyed the show, and please check out my many other episodes. I hope you get some beneficial suggestions from my experiences. And remember, we're all responsible for our own choices. I'd like to remind you that if you have someone in your life with BPD, try to understand them and love them as much as you can, because they find it so hard to be able to understand themselves and love themselves. So thank you again and have a happy life.